Uh, if you're going to be in here today, you can go ahead and grab your Bible if you have it. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 uh, as we continue our series, Jesus is Greater, where each week what we're doing in this series is we, in some way, have been answering the question, what is the answer, by looking at how Jesus is not simply the answer, although He is, but He is the Son of God who put on flesh, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die in our place so that we might not just have life, but have what? Life abundant, right? Like John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came to give life, but not just life, but life abundant. He is truly greater. And as followers of Jesus... We, and I hope as we go through this series, we are pressed, not just in this series, but in every series, every time we open up the Word of God, that we would be pressed to continually live into and out of the good news of the gospel. You see, we are not simply to believe that He is greater. Rather, when met with the transformative power of the gospel, we are changed and then commissioned to proclaim Christ as the only source of hope, change, and life. More on that here in just a bit. But what I want to do to kick us off this morning is I want to begin by talking about one of my struggles, okay? Now, this is a safe place. Something we say all the time is we want Center Church to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. So this is a safe place for me to share with you one of my struggles. And the struggle that I want to share is my struggle as a sports fan. A struggle that some of you know and know. Some of you are already thinking, you're like, yeah, it's because you're a Cowboys fan, Kyle. If you just stop that, you'd be okay. That's not what I'm talking about, although the season hasn't even started and I'm already struggling with how bad I perceive us being this year. And all I do is just tell myself, at least I'm not a Texans fan. At least I'm not a Texans fan, right? Now you see my struggle, and some of you know this, is that I cannot, like I cannot bring myself to support another team in Texas. I can support teams outside of Texas, but if they're in this great state, the greatest state, I cannot support any other team than the teams that I support. There is no room in my life. There is no room in my heart as a Cowboys fan to support the Texans. There's no room in my life or heart as a Mavericks fan to support the Spurs or the Rockets. And there is no room in my life or heart as a Rangers fan, to support the Astros. Like, I despise them, not, not as human beings bearing the image of God, but as athletes playing on a field, gifted in ways I am not. Like, I hope those other teams just lose every game. Like, that's what I go into. And even so much so that, that uh, Haley and I, and I, I think I've, uh, some of you know this, in our marriage, like, she doesn't understand that. And so I'll start going off on another team. She's like, Kyle, just cheer for them. They are from Texas. Like, why can't you just cheer for them? Just cheer for the state. And I'm like, you can't. It's not the way it works in my heart. Maybe yours. Maybe you're a little more sanctified than me. But I can't do it, right? And maybe you, you, you hear that and you want to kind of push back. 
and say, Kyle, that's a little bit extreme. But I want to take a poll just to, I'm going to push back now, okay? And I'm going to take a poll and we'll see where everybody's at, all right? So how many, by a show of hands, how many Aggies do we have in the room? I, okay, hold on. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I'm not, I'm not going to make a joke about the Aggies. All right, that was weeks ago. All right, it'll probably happen a few weeks from now. Uh, but uh, how many of you, maybe you didn't go to A&M, but like for me, like I love Texas Tech, but I didn't go to Texas Tech. All right. So how many of you, you're just, you didn't go to A&M, but you're still a fan of the Aggies. Okay, so if you're an Aggie, raise your hand. If you're a fan of the Aggies, raise your hand. All right. Great. I figured as much. <laughs> now, for those of you that raised your hands, how many times have you held up the hook'em sign to support the Longhorns? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> how many of you have worn burnt orange in support of the Longhorns? How many of you were really excited when they won the national championship back in the day because they were from Texas? Yeah, well, yeah, see, we're house divided. You see, when you have something you love dearly, when you have something you hold in highest regard, something that pulls at your heartstrings and brings you joy, it is hard to fathom something else ever holding that place in your life, is it not? Which to a far greater degree than sports... It's what is what is being wrestled with by these second generation Jewish Christians who are receiving this letter. You see, they know of, they've seen, they've experienced the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus. Like they have faith in him. But guess what? Because they're second generation Jewish Christians, they also know of Moses, who in their eyes was the Hebrew of Hebrews. You see, to a Jew or former Jew, he was the one that you look to. If you were like, what's a Hebrew of you? It, Moses is the guy. Let, let me try to explain this because while I think my sports analogy can get us part of the way, the example falls apart in light of how great Moses was to these former Jews who are now following Christ. See, Moses was larger than life and for, for another to hold a higher place than him, that was a struggle. So let's just consider Moses. Like if you know the story, like if you look at the story beginning in Exodus, uh, I mean Moses' story in and of itself is just crazy the way it starts. So, so Pharaoh in Egypt sees uh, God's people, Israel. He says they, they are growing. The he- these Hebrews are becoming too many. So every male should be killed. They should be thrown into the Nile. And so they're doing this, but... By the grace and providence of God, Moses' mom puts him in a basket and sends him down the river. And guess what? Again, by the grace and providence of God, who happens to show up? Someone in Pharaoh's family, right? They find Moses, this Hebrew child, and they adopt him into their family. Which again, is just crazy. Like They're throwing them in the Nile, and yet Pharaoh's family adopts Moses. Later on in Moses' life, he sees an Egyptian striking a Hebrew like him, and he kills the Egyptian and has to flee, right? And then later in his life, after a long season, he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, and God reveals himself to him in a burning bush. After that burning bush moment, God uses Moses to deliver his people by his power. 
Not Moses' power, God's power. So, so he does that. He is the deliverer of God's people by the power of God. Also through uh, the, these books of the Old Testament, you see that Moses was a prophet for God's people. So he was the voice of God to the people. But not only that, he was also a priest for the people. You see, while Aaron held the title of priest, man, we saw what Aaron did, right? Like Aaron just automatically is like, hey, what do the people want? They want a golden calf? Okay, let's go. We'll do that, right? While Moses over and over again throughout his life intercedes and advocates for the people before God. Let me just read. This is what it said of Moses after he dies in Deuteronomy 34. Now listen to what they write of Moses, beginning in verse 10. And there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Some Jewish tradition placed Moses in a seat above the angels. Similar to what we see Jesus, where we see Jesus being placed in Hebrews chapter 1. R. Kent Hughes, when writing about the greatness of Moses, gave him this title. He said that Moses was the great apostle or sent one and high priest of the Old Testament. And so imagine that you have this view of Moses and then you come to know the saving work of Christ and you're met with the reality that while you still can hold Moses in high regard, someone greater has come along. This person being Jesus. So you have this one person you've looked to forever and yet they say, hey, one better than him has come along. That might be a little bit of a struggle, right? Right? I mean, the closest I can think of, and this is going to date myself, is in another uh, sports debate. And it's this. Who is the greatest quarterback of all time? Like Tom Brady, right? Like we hate to say it, you know, it's hard to say, right? But Tom Brady, statistically, and what he has done over his career, is the greatest quarterback of all time. But you see, before Tom Brady, who was it? Well, consensus, based on all the research I did, and this is even harder for me to say as a Cowboys fan, is Joe Montana, okay? We can debate that afterwards, okay, you know, uh, but, but Joe Montana was seen as the greatest quarterback of all time. And so for us, like we've seen that, we know that, then we're met with this reality of, I went from Joe Cool to Tom Deflategate Brady. Like, that's hard to stomach and set on, right? I don't know what to do with that. You're wrestling with something you have loved and you're being told, which is what's happening in uh, this letter, you're being told to still love it, but you're to put it in the proper place and perspective. See, this is what God's people are threatened with in light of their circumstance. And the writer of Hebrews wastes no time and combating the threat of placing anything or anyone in a higher position than Jesus. And so let's jump in. We're going to read beginning with Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 2. The writer says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Okay, so in your life, when you're met with pressures, maybe uh, tribulation, persecution, suffering, boredom, failure, shame, what do you tend to turn to? Just think about that for a moment. Like, what do you tend to turn to? Now, the hope for every disciple, Jesus, and I'm saying, like, we do this at times, the hope is that you turn to Jesus, right? Like, if you're having to answer a question, what's the answer? Jesus. Good job. We're only five weeks in. Jesus, right? You see, if we're honest, and we can do and we can run to what we know, or maybe what we knew. Any of you ever run to old habits and strengths because that's what worked? I don't know how to figure this out, so I'm just going to go to what I'm good at, or at least I knew about this, right? Reminded of the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, they just go back to fishing. Maybe you go to sins of comfort and escape that bring no comfort or escape. Maybe you begin to look elsewhere for something new. Maybe you overwork or underperform. Maybe uh, you go to what's shiny better. Maybe you go to that which aligns and gives you hope or even satisfaction in the midst of what you're walking through. Maybe you begin to walk in just the victim mentality of woe is me instead of looking to Jesus and saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, God's people who are receiving this letter, there's a threat, there's a pressure to look to Moses in the midst of suffering and persecution. He's the Hebrew of Hebrews. Again, there's a threat to drift from the Son of God back to Moses. It goes back to chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, the writer says, you were to pay much closer attention to what you've heard, the good news of the Gospel, so you don't drift away from. You see, in life, when we begin to have a small view and picture of Jesus, we begin to see other things as greater than Jesus, and we drift. And so, the beginning of chapter 3 begins with another therefore statement, which leads us backwards. And I, I would argue that it's to go back through the entire letter, because throughout the entire letter, the writer is building out the greatness of Christ from the get-go. But also, last week, the way we ended is that Jesus is the founder of salvation through His suffering and our helper through every temptation because He has been tempted and yet He was without sin. Like that in and of itself is enough. Like we are to look to Jesus as our salvation. He is the saving one, but also He is the helping one. We are to look to the saving and helping work of Christ in our lives. I think at times we can tend to look and say, well, I know that Jesus saved me, but I need to help myself now. Or, helping is found in these other areas. And we miss out on this daily gospel need, which says, no, He is day by day transforming you more and more into what? Into His image. So we get there for, and then we get holy Brothers, 
Piper and I have been reading the Bible together in the mornings recently, and we've been working through uh, the book of James. And in James, he says brothers a lot. And so what I'll always do for her is, because uh, I don't want her to get stuck on that, and I like brothers and sisters, right? So when we hear holy brothers and sisters, to whom he is writing to, he's writing to followers of Christ. What he does is he presents a statement of affirmative identity. He's saying, remember who you are and why you are so. And guess what? Who they are and why they are who they are is not through Moses. He's saying it's not through Moses that you're made holy. It's only through Christ. So holy brothers or God's holy ones, which was a term used throughout the Old Testament to describe the Jews, but is now for all who come to salvation through Christ. This identity then leads to action. Who you are gives power to what you do. Your being or your identity empowers your obedience as a disciple. Not the other way around. If you're living life and saying, okay, what I do then tells me who I I am. Guess what? You're never going to measure up and be able to do enough. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus says, no, This is who God is and what God has done. And then what He does for you tells you who you are. And then from that, you're freed up to then go do and live as you're called to live. But again, it's the identity that leads to what in verse 1? He says, the writer says, those who share in a heavenly calling. Every, hear this church, every follower of Jesus shares in the same calling. We have different giftings, but the same calling. We have all been set apart and commissioned to display the gospel of Je- that Jesus is greater in word and deed to the world around us. But look at what's shared next. The, 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 the term used is consider. The word here is meant to fix or set one's full attention on. But what are we to consider? Well, look at the text. What's the answer? Jesus, it's right there, right? Like Jesus is who we're to consider. Like don't just consider Him among a list of others. Rather set your attention on none other than Jesus. Look at how Jesus is described. Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. So let's just break that down. We begin with apostle. Now this is the only time that this word is used for Jesus. Again, uh, the word apostle means sent one of God. Like, do you see what the writer is already doing? The writer's breaking down the Old Testament argument held by Jews that Moses was the greater apostle and high priest of the Old Testament. He's saying, they're saying you, you thought uh, that Moses was a great apostle and sent one of God? No, look to Jesus, he's greater. Jesus is the ultimate sent one. Because guess what? God Himself put on flesh. In the midst of our brokenness and sin and inability, in the midst of our deadness, God didn't send another. He sent Himself. That's really, really, really good news. Because I know me. Guess what? God couldn't send me. You know you. And I would probably argue and bet that God couldn't send you either. 
And he said, no, I'm going to send myself. Not only is He the ultimate sent one, He is our greater high priest. You see, a priest in Jewish culture, they were intercessors between God and man. And yet, while they held that role, Jesus is greater in that He is the very voice of God and He also intercedes for man. According to one writer, Jesus is the one man through whom man comes to God and God to man. He is the one man through whom man comes to God and God to man. So he's our apostle and high priest of our what? Of our confession. Now now confession here is not what we probably think of. You see, it's not simply owning up to something we've done wrong. Really here, the, the word confession is expressing our belief about Jesus and what is true about our belief about Jesus. And when we think about that, when we think about the things that we confess, like this should be easy for us to understand. Because we have no problem confessing and arguing for what we believe in as, and is important to us, do we not? Like when I started this and I started talking about Aggies, I mean people... Uh, I know what giggle means now, but they were just gigging everywhere, like hands up, thumbs up, you know, no horns up except for one. Uh, but like we, like you have no problem with arguing those things. I think the question is, is the gospel of Jesus as our apostle and high priest, is that the top of the list of our confession? I know in my life, and interacting with relationships with others, man, I think a lot of, there's a lot of confessing going on, but very little of it is important. Again, we could talk about sports by always saying, well, this is our year, right? And if it's not this year, guess what? Next year will be our year. Just look on social media. There's always some new thing that people are doing and selling. There's always a new pyramid scheme that they're saying is not a pyramid scheme. There's a new TV show, a new movie. There's a new phone, a new house you can get, a new car you can get. There's a new money-making trend. And I'm not saying all those things are bad, but I'm saying, do we hold them in their proper place? Is Jesus, is the Gospel of Jesus as our Apostle and High Priest at the top of our list? Is He who we're confessing? I think one of the struggles we have is that when met with circumstance, when life becomes life, we can drift. We can put our attention elsewhere. We can look to another as greater. And so what is the confession that we believe? What are we to confess? I think simply that Jesus was fully faithful. Again, He came and lived perfectly. He came and died in our place. And He came and rose again in all power and authority. And He has sent us, the church, to confess with all we are who He is and what He has done. This is what we're after, church. For just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus was faithful in ways Moses could never be 
And let's look at why. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. All right, so beginning in verse 3, the writer begins to expand on the greaterness, not a word of Jesus, by stating that he is worthy of more glory than Moses. I think when we think about that word more, like, I just, I think it's a fitting word, but I think we limit it. Because more in, in English just doesn't go far enough. Because guess what? All glory is due to the name of Jesus. For while Moses was faithful to his work, the writer says, in all God's house, Jesus is faithful as the builder of the house. And while Moses received his status and for a while was seen to be the Hebrew of Hebrews that delivered God's people, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has been exalted to a place higher than Moses, and he is crowned with glory and honor. And guess what? Moses is not upset about it. Not only that, but all that has been built and created came how? It came through Christ. John 1, right? Like all was made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. So let's just think on this, this, this picture of a house for a moment. You see, in the Old Testament, that was represented by either the temple or God's people Israel. But today, this term of house represents the people of God, the church. Again, the church is not a building. We don't go to church. We are the church. The people of God. And so this again presents us with the contrast between Moses and Christ. You see, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant of God. Though the word here for servant is found nowhere else in the New Testament. And it's a positional phrase that expresses a willingness to do the service expected of him. You see, what we know from Scripture, and specifically what we know from the life of Moses, is that everything Moses said, everything Moses did, only pointed to the need for and the coming of Jesus. You see, Moses was a willing servant, but he was also an imperfect servant in God's house. Moses falls in line with those spoken about in Hebrews 1.1. That states long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through what? Through the prophets. Moses is one of those. Let me read just a couple of passages of Scripture for us this morning from John 5. What we see is that Jesus even expresses this. Jesus says, you know, you you think that I will not accuse you to the Father. He says, "There there is one who accuses you. And then he says, look, Moses accuses you on whom you have set your hope. Verse 46 For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Later, uh, after the following the resurrection in Luke 24, we get this account called the road to Emmaus, right? Where these two disciples are headed on the road and they are discussing what has happened over the last few days. And Jesus shows up and they don't know it's Jesus. He says, hey, what are you all talking about? And these two disciples are like, where you been, bro? 
You're the only one in the whole region that doesn't know what happened. Because guess what? The one that we thought would come and redeem his people has died. And it's been three days. But then they say, something has happened because the body's gone. And then Jesus says this, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted them in all the Scripture the things concerning Himself. You see, Jesus reveals beginning with Moses how it all was pointing to Him. Therefore, the law, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, the priesthood, the tabernacle, all pointed to things that would be fulfilled and perfected in Christ. You see, some saw Jesus as the second Moses, but what we see here and all through Scripture is that Jesus is greater. But He's greater not simply in that He was perfected as a suffering servant, but in that He was a faithful Son. Let's close now with verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Okay, so while Moses was a faithful yet imperfect servant in God's house, Jesus was a fully faithful and perfect son. Again, it denotes identity. It denotes authority and position. He has a greater position. You see, as a son, he was and is faithful over God's house, the church, as a son. While Moses played a part, Jesus perfected it and rules over the house in role, responsibility, and perfection. Another way to say that is Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And this is the best part. Through Christ, through Christ, we, the text says, are his house. Now quickly, I just want to make a distinction there. And the distinction is this. is He's not just talking about nominal faith or faith that is in name only or a faith that is just, well, just because this is what I was raised and so of course I'm Christian but your life looks nothing of it. No, what he's talking about here and the distinction he makes about God's house, the church, it's that it is lives that have been transformed through repentance and faith and receiving the saving work of Christ on your behalf. It's not simply acknowledging Christ. Scripture says even the demons do that. But by the grace of God, it's being brought from death to life. That's who the writer's talking to. Sinner church, we are His house. This is good news for us today. This is security for us today. But then what we get at the end of this uh, verse is we get this warning immediately after. It says, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What the writer means is this. The warning here is meant to again call those who have been redeemed by Christ to not turn away from Jesus to Moses or anyone or anything else, even in the face of, of, of suffering, persecution, whatever it is. Rather, we are to endure, which again is to hold to this confession of what we believe about who Jesus is, what He has done for us, who we are in light of that, and what we are then to do. 
You see, our faith is shown as genuine by our endurance and commitment to Christ in the face of any circumstance. And so our confession to self and others is that we are continually in need of God's grace and that rescue is found in Him and no other. Is that our confession today? Is that your confession today? You see, it's this confession that leads us to living the lives that we've been called to live. As holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1. Live lives we're called to live as we are commissioned in Matthew 28 to make disciples, to baptize them and teach them all that God has commanded. It leads to action. Identity leads to action. According to 1 Peter 2.9, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession. And then hear this, so that you may proclaim. That's the purpose of it, that you may complain, not not, uh, proclaim, not that you might or maybe if you feel like it. It's actually a command that this should overflow out of you. The excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what we're called to, church. Look to Jesus and then live for Jesus. Look to Him and then live for Him. To help us see this, I want to close with a picture of what this is to look like for every follower of Christ. I'm going to tell you a story of a guy named Asbel Petrie who served as a pioneer preacher in eastern Kentucky in the early 1900s. Now, as you hear that, just because you heard preacher, don't just shut that off and say it's only for a few. I already said this is for every follower of Jesus. He was just gifted in a certain way and given a position to equip other people. This is for every disciple of Christ. Listen to this story. So Aswell Petrie lived in the Cumberland Mountains of eastern Kentucky in the early 1900s. And one day an author, interested in writing about his spiritual adventures, visited him for an interview. And he asked this question during the visit. What is the greatest single thing that has happened to you during your long ministry in these Kentucky mountains? Petrie pointed to a white church clearly visible on a nearby hill. And he said, two Sundays ago, I was guest of honor at services held at that church. As we entered the building, the ushers gave each person a red rose. When the services were almost over, the pastor asked me to stand. Then he said to the members of the congregation, if Brother Petrie was the one responsible for your finding Christ as your Savior, come up and pin a rose on him. Petrie said, they started coming from every part of the room. They pinned roses all over my coat, down my pants legs, all over my back. I felt like a blooming idiot. But I, listen to this, I would not trade those roses for all the hardwood in those hills, nor all the coal beneath the surface of the land. And all the gold in Fort Knox. You see, most Christians have never heard of Asbel Petrie. But thousands just like him have remained faithful to Jesus and his call during their lifetime. They have focused on the command of the Great Commission to make disciples. We should follow their example. Look to Jesus and no other thing, and live for Jesus. And no other thing. We should follow their example. 
an example that makes much of Christ in and through all things. And so I'm going to have the team come back up and we're going to have some time in response. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to just spend some time just asking the the, the Spirit of God just to reveal maybe areas in your life where you're looking elsewhere and not to Jesus. That you're wrestling with seeing something else as greater than Christ, the only one who's to hold that position. And if so, that you would repent and turn to Him in faith. And then you would live for Jesus. Maybe today you're hearing all this and you're like, man, I've never lived for Jesus Something else has that position. And if so, I want to invite you to cry out to Him in repentance and faith and receive new life in Him. Because He is the only source of life, transformation. He's the only source of good news. And then, if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, I want to invite you to come share in communion. As you share in communion day, I want you to remember that Jesus is greater. You see, as we remember His sacrifice, we remember why He is greater. Because we couldn't do it. God couldn't send you, and He couldn't send me, and He couldn't send anyone else, so He sent Himself. He is the Son over the house, the church. He is prophet, priest, and king. The greater Moses that gave all of Himself up for us. Jesus is our reason and the hope that we have for continuing and holding fast. Jesus is our confession. You see, communion is an act of confessing that Jesus died in your place. And therefore, in remembering that, you were to go live for Him in all the places you find yourself in. And so I want to invite you to these things and the team. They're going to lead us in a song here in just a bit. But may we be a people that again look to Jesus and then live for Jesus. Let Him be our confession and no other thing. May we declare Him more than we declare any sports team or job or next steps or self, whatever it is that Jesus would be in His rightful place, which He is, guess what, at the right hand of the Father, crowned in glory and honor. May we worship as He is. As if He is. May we live as if He is. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for Your Son that He Himself came. We thank You that we uh, can look to Him in the midst of everything. Thank You that the finished work of the cross is good news for our souls, not just for our past and our future, but for our day today. May that be our confession and our hope. May we not look elsewhere. And in light of that, may we live differently. May the world around us know the good news of the Gospel by the way that we speak and the things that we speak about, by the way that we live and why we live that way. And I thank You for the church, Your bride. I thank You for Center Church specifically, God, that You are doing a mighty work here that we... <laughs> find it hard to explain at times, but God, we celebrate it and thank You. And we ask that, that You uh, would humbly use us to declare Your ex- excellencies and bring them to the ends of the earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.